This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from Middle Eastern folklore. What do a genie, a mouse suicide pact, a boat full of male models, and way too many feral cats have in common? Well, absolutely nothing. But they're all somehow in this story. The creature this week is a relentlessly stupid goblin who just might trick you into living your best life. This is Myths and Legends, episode 103, Ship Shape. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Hey, podcast fans, Spotify is making it super easy for you to stream this podcast and others like it on your mobile device, desktop app, and smart speaker. Open the app, click on the browse channel, and then click on the podcast section. Stay entertained during your commute to work, drive home, and downtime. Now, thanks to Spotify. This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from the folklore of the Middle East. I actually wish I could give more of a background. It was collected by Scottish writer Andrew Lang. And though it's obviously from the Middle East, we don't know much more. Lang didn't give an introduction, and he actually got it from a French collection of stories. It's a fairy tale, so it's set in a sultanate in the late Middle Ages. Oh, and also, Lang kind of uses king and sultan interchangeably, and listening back, it's a mistake that slipped through in my writing too. So basically, anytime I say king, I mean sultan. Standing before the window, the king finally recognized that he had a problem. His gardens were not in bloom, or existence. It was well known that the area surrounding his kingdom was a wasteland, and he could now see that it boiled down to a staffing issue. All of his guys, well, they were just pulled off the streets and told to make stuff grow. Seeing as that didn't work in the slightest, and the wasteland remained wasted land, the king came to a tipping point and decided to actually look for a gardener with some experience. He sent his servants far and wide, before finding a man whose parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, and so on, were all gardeners. The servants made an offer the candidate could not refuse. And so he, his son, and his wife all relocated to the capital. On the first day, the new gardener surveyed all that he had been tasked to fix. It wasn't a wasteland, it was just land. Honestly, barring some sort of disaster or drought or something, he could do a lot with this space. The king watched his new hire at work. Oh, you're supposed to put the seeds in the ground. And, yep, water. Huh, they've been using wine. Okay, this made a lot of sense. Within a year's time, the king's gardens were in full bloom and the hit of his fancy parties. However, not everything was coming up like a daffodil in spring for the king, because his daughter was now in love with the gardener's son. And, like, good for her, because she knew it, and she stuck by the young man, even though the king constantly put him down and forbade her to see him. Usually the king would have just had the guy, like, killed or exiled or something. But his garden looked so good. And the gardener would probably get all touchy about his son being executed. So it was quite fortuitous when the minister, the father of the man the king wanted to marry his daughter, came up with an idea. Send both kids on a quest, but give my son gold and a nice horse, and the gardener's son coppers, and a horse that could barely walk. The situation would sort itself out. Now the king, 
who definitely did not want his daughter marrying a gardener's son, no matter how nice his tulips looked, agreed. And the next day, a quest was announced. The two young men would have to travel to a country very, very far away and return. It was as simple as it was rigged, because the rich son of the merchant got a Mercedes horse, and the gardener's son got a jalopy. Even with the princess meeting him the morning of, and giving him a kiss and a bag of jewels, the gardener was still unsure of his odds. Yet, he would do anything for the woman he loved. The men began their challenge, and the minister's son quickly outran the gardener's. And for the sake of keeping this simple, we're going to call the gardener's son G, and the minister's son M. Since M was the first one to turn the corner, he was the first to see the elderly woman standing in the middle of the road, begging with a frail voice, she said that she needed help. She was stranded here, and she hadn't eaten in three days. Everyone who looked on her did so with disdain. Kind of like M was looking at her right now, and oh, cool. He wasn't even slowing down. She dove out of the way at the very last second, as he yelled at her to leave him alone, which, and continued speeding down the road. A few moments later, G rounded the corner and screeched to a halt. He knew he had to keep moving, but this beggar woman looked rough. He dismounted and approached, asking how he could help. Well, G ended up giving her his entire bag of coppers. Since he had the jewels his girlfriend had given him, he also asked if the witch wanted a ride. Her legs looked very weak, the story says. The witch nodded. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's kind of a backhanded way of saying it, but help us help. Together, they rode to the next town. M was already there and using a little bit of his gold to stay in the nicest inn in town. G and the witch, however, will be staying at an inn for beggars. That night at dinner, the old woman confirmed that she was, in fact, a witch. We're not all evil, she explained between gulps of beer. Personally, I don't eat children at all. I mean, okay, if I'm at a witch party and someone's passing around hors d'oeuvres and I'm like, I'm not gonna be rude, but I can't stand the taste. I can do other stuff though, like that guy, she said, pointing to the man about to read a proclamation in the center of town. He's gonna say, that the king is dying and will reward anyone who can help him. As a witch, they won't let me within a hundred yards of him, but you could help him. She hesitated. He was kind of right in the middle of a quest for the love of his life, but if he could help someone and wouldn't lose a ton of time, sure, what did he need to do? As G ran by the south gate 20 minutes later, trying to catch stray dogs to kill, he was pretty sorry he asked. The cure went as such. He had to catch three dogs, one white, one black, one red. Then, those poor pups had to die and be cremated. G should find a white, red, and black bag and put the ashes in the appropriate colored bags. Then, he needed to announce himself as a famous physician and somehow con his way into a locked room alone with the sultan in a cauldron of boiling water. When the water is at a rolling boil, G just had to pick up the old, sick sultan and boil him until his flesh separated from his bones. At that point, G should wait for the water to cool and fish the bones out, arranging them on the floor and then throw the dog ashes on them. When the dust cleared, the king will be just as he was when he was 20 years old. Simple enough, right? Here's the thing. When the grateful sultan asked what G desired, he must demand a bronze ring. The bronze ring contained a genie. Basically everything cool contains a genie. With as much confidence as he could muster, G announced that he was a great Albanian physician, and the sultan, grasping for anything that could save his life, 
demanded that G be given anything he needed to get the job done. He very quickly regretted that decision when G carried him to a boiling cauldron and dropped him in. Incidentally, he had a change of heart and felt a lot better about it, and most things, when he awoke. Covered in dog ash, but younger than his own daughter, he hugged G and asked him if he wanted half of his kingdom. No. His treasures? No. His daughter? No. He just wanted the ring. The sultan hemmed and hawed. Was G sure he didn't want his daughter? But G was resolute. He should only ask for the ring. It was, then, with a lot of reluctance, that the sultan parted with the bronze ring. Finally, nearly a day after riding into town with a witch, G found himself exactly one copper ring richer, and in need of a bath on account of all the dog ash. He returned to the inn, told the witch that the plan had worked, and bid her goodbye. It was really time to get back on his quest. Down by the river, G took a few deep breaths. He could easily summon a modest boat to help him make up the time, maybe a few helpful servants. Oh, and some food in the cargo to help him along. Or he could completely and unrepentantly abuse the power of the genie for an impractical gold party boat full of great-looking guys, a cargo full of golden jewels, and St. Nicholas himself at the helm. G opted for door number two. The genie was a little confused how a ship of solid gold with masts of silver was supposed to float, but he made it happen. G blinked, and before him appeared a solid gold boat. It was everything he asked for and more. The twelve outrageously good-looking male servants saluted him, as did St. Nicholas, the patron saint of sailors, who was not only confused as to why he was in this story, but why he had been brought back from the dead at all. Still, the ship needed a captain, and he was happy to oblige. G sailed past the next few towns, and when he reached the destination country, set himself up in the best places to stay. It was while he was out walking a little later that he chanced upon a familiar face. It was M, the son of the prime minister, and what was this? He was begging on the street. He didn't recognize G in his new fancy pants, flanked by a dozen male models in the reanimated corpse of St. Nicholas, when G asked him what his name was and where he was from. G listened to the story that he already knew and learned that, as it turned out, it was really easy to spend money, and M was now stranded here, having needed to sell his horse just to feed himself. G took pity and offered his rival a ship to go back home. For free, there was just one tiny caveat. Seeing as M was completely destitute, he couldn't really take issue with the request. It cost him nothing, just a bit of pain. When they returned to G's quarters, G had his ring heated, commanded M to take off his shirt, and branded the man's back with the insignia on the bronze ring. M screamed out in pain, but it was quickly over. And as G cooled the ring, he told his servants to take M out to find his new ship. As they walked, G rubbed the magic ring and made his wish. M would have a ship, but it would be one half rotten with the wood painted black to conceal it. The crew would in fact not be male models, but a bunch of ugly disfigured guys, missing arms and legs and covered in scars. Content that this was good enough for revenge, G let the man go. He decided to stay one more night in his palace in the faraway country and leave the next morning. Well, G pulled into port just in time for the wedding preparations between the woman he loved and M, who, despite the crew, 
had pushed everyone hard and returned mere hours before G on his gold party boat. G, having grown a beard and gotten a haircut, nice clothes, and way too much money, was unrecognizable to the king, who invited him to the wedding feast that night. The king, impressed by the boat, the sexy sailors, and the reanimated corpse of a patron saint of the Catholic Church, offered G the honor of giving his daughter away at her wedding to the prime minister's son. It was in that moment at the wedding that G, still in disguise, threw his hat down and said he refused to give such a wonderful princess away to a man like that. That was his servant. The wedding goers gasped, and then they thought about it. No, that, that was the prime minister's kid. He was, of course, a jerk, but he definitely wasn't some rich guy's servant. G continued, saying he didn't care who the man was. He had found him in some foreign city, begging. He had groveled at G's feet, begging him for help. And G had taken pity on him and accepted him as a servant. He gave him a boat, yes, but the sailors were all infirm and, frankly, not nearly as good-looking as G's sailors. The king nodded. They could all agree on that. But still, these were pretty hefty allegations. The rich man would need to prove it. That's when M sighed and spoke up. He knew where this was going, and he would rather not be forcibly disrobed at his own wedding ceremony to reveal that he had been branded by a rich guy. And now, my king, do you recognize me? G asked. The king admitted this was just way too hard to follow, but the smiling princess spoke up. She recognized the rich man and flew into his arms, welcoming back the gardener's son. At this point, M, having been thoroughly publicly shamed, and now technically G's servant, withdrew himself from the competition for the princess's hand, despite having won it. He could see the king was already counting G's money, and when they really thought about it, M had only made it back because of G's kindness. If not for that rotting ship and the sailors of subpar attractiveness, M would still be in the faraway city, unlikely to ever make it home. The king sat and thought. They were already at a wedding. M. Yeah, M, just, just go sit down, the king said. Probably in the back somewhere. It'd be weird if you were in the pictures. The king turned to G and asked him what he was waiting for. Come on up here and get married to the woman he loved. see that the witch hanging out in the center of the road wasn't the only one who knew about the magic ring, but that will be right after this. The wizard kept buying, and M kept drinking. M could be found most nice in the seediest of places around town. After it was revealed that he had lost the competition, the princess's hand, and the throne, his father had disowned him and he was cast out onto the street. He still had a little money left over from the good times. While he drank from that whenever he could, it was nice to have someone else buying for a change. The wizard just needed to keep the man talking. He wanted the man to think that the wizard was his friend. Then, sometime around drink five or six, he grew belligerent, ranting about the wedding and the princess in the ring, the mark he would wear forever. The wizard asked to see it. He only glimpsed it for a moment but a moment was all it took. The bronze ring with that insignia. It was the ring. The wizard dropped enough silver on the table to pay M's entire tab, looked at him with disgust, and left the tavern. Oh, wow. 
The princess was bored. It was the late Middle Ages, and her husband was out trading in strange lands, and oh my gosh, was that guy selling fishies? From the palace, the princess heard cries echoing across the marketplace. Who wants some pretty red fishies? A man with a long black beard that got lost in the black robe shouted. Most ignored him, but the princess, the princess was his target demographic. Young, rich, bored, and she likely wasn't able to get out of the city much to go see the extremely common pretty little red fishies that lived in all the nearby ponds. The princess sent a servant to ask how much the fishies were. The servant had instructions to tell that kind of wizard-looking guy that the princess had gold and silver at her disposal, and she just had to have one of those pretty little red fishies. However, the servant returned confused. It turned out that the strange man didn't want gold or silver, only bronze. A bronze ring hidden under the cushion in the princess's room. The princess narrowed her eyes. Should she be concerned that the strange fish vendor had an intimate knowledge of her room and jewelry? Nah. It was just a bronze ring after all. She had literally millions of times that value. With a nod, the princess told the servant that, yeah, whatever. Go get the ring and give it to this guy. She just had to have one of those fishies. Quickly locating the ring, the servant returned to the fish vendor, who inspected the piece. He smiled a sinister smile and told the servant that for the coupon code WHAT, she could have all the fish for the price of one. Just go to sketchyfishvendor.com, promo code WHAT. That's sketchyfishvendor.com, promo code WHAT. The servant cocked her head. Wait, what? The vendor smiled again. They were hers. He left his fish vending cart in the middle of the market and scurried away as fast as he could. It was afternoon, and G was out sailing on his gold boat with his fantastic-looking crew. When he noticed something, one of his 12 crewmen, Derek, was his face breaking out? G called Derek over to him, and wow, they had just cropped up just now? Derek was confused, but he exfoliated regularly. How is this possible? Worse yet, as he spoke, Derek's teeth and hair started falling out. And in minutes, he collapsed to the ground, having lost his leg below the knee. G shrieked, looked up to the rest of his gorgeous crew, and shrieked even louder. The rest of his crew was having the same problem. His crew, his sexy, sexy crew, was becoming ugly. Uh, G, something's happening to me, he heard from the helm. G gasped. The only other person on the boat of average physical attractiveness was Saint Nick. G ran to the helm to find the panicked Saint fading, disappearing all back to the future style. The Saint said that he wasn't afraid of dying, but this was something else. He swallowed hard as his arms and legs disappeared. Then his chest, as his head and mouth disappeared, he pleaded something about not wanting his name to become associated with rampant greed and commercialism before he disappeared. Unfortunately, G didn't have time to mourn the, kind of, death of St. Nicholas, because more changes were taking place. A wave of darkness passed over his boat, and in an instant, it was changed from gold to rotting wood. His sails turned from silk to shredded fabric, 
and G looked around in panic. But then he remembered that his cargo was laden with gold and jewels. Whatever happened, he could buy a new boat and ugh, a better looking crew at the next stop. He sprinted and threw open the bottom deck of the ship and then immediately closed it. All of the golden jewels had been transformed into angry feral cats. He knew instantly that something was wrong with the ring. Someone had stolen it and reversed his wishes. And instead of just getting rid of the ship and drowning G, the perpetrator had sent him a message that the genie now belonged to the thief. Do not come home. G looked on his crew, now without a captain, his rotting ship, and his cargo hold full of angry feral cats. And he fell into despair. He was worse off now than when he started. At least then he'd had the love of his princess and his parents. Now, he was in exile from his own kingdom with a crew of subpar physical attractiveness. His first inclination regarding the cats was to just close the door to the cargo hold and let them sort the whole starvation thing out. But after admitting that that was actually pretty evil and the fact that no one on the ship could sleep at all because of a legion of hungry cats, he relented. G's life became one of sailing from island to island, making enough money each time to spend it all on his ugly and infirm crew and feed his way too many pet cats. The ship drifted listlessly until it came to a stop one morning on an island that wasn't on any maps. The owners of said island were not thrilled about being discovered. Hey, hey you. Yeah, you with a gross boat. You can't park that here. G scrambled to the edge of the boat and looked through the railing, but didn't see anyone. Then, he looked closer. There, on the beach, were two mice. G shook his head. There was a lot of ocean. Couldn't they just park here and sulk for a few hours before continuing on? Absolutely not, said the mice. It wasn't so much the boat, but the cargo hold stuffed with angry feral cats. G nodded. Oh yeah. After a while, you just get used to the hair and the sound and the smell. The conversation had gone on so long that the queen of the mice herself stopped by the beach. Seriously, they couldn't park their death ship here. That's when G got an idea. He looked down at the queen of the mice with her adorable tiny crown and stroked his chin. Huh, nice island full of mice you have here. Be a shame if someone accidentally released an entire cargo hold of hungry feral cats. The queen of the mice sighed. All right, what can the mice do for you? The three hero mice sisters answered the call to adventure and set sail on their tiny, tiny boat for G's home kingdom. After that not remotely veiled threat, the queen of the mice had called mice in from all around the globe to find the location of the ring. Because many spies have many eyes and whatnot, they found him. But finishing the job wasn't going to be easy. The wizard wore the ring all day, but knew that it wasn't secure enough when he slept. He put the ring in his mouth each night and somehow didn't swallow it or summon the genie and blow up his head. The three brave mice had answered their queen's call and now made their way to the magician's house. In a week or however long it takes a tiny boat to traverse normal-sized seas, the mice were standing above the sleeping form of the wizard. There was a reason this tiny fellowship of the ring had stepped up. They immediately knew what to do. Pepper makes humans sneeze, so they dipped their tails in oil and then in pepper, held them above the magician's nose and waited. The magician sneezed and rolled over and then smacked his lips in his sleep. Then he shot up. He looked around the room. 
just in time to hear the mice scurrying out with the ring. He searched and searched his house, not realizing that a small team of mice had just pulled off a heist. Because there aren't nearly enough digressions in the story, the sister mice got into an argument in the boat about who exactly deserved the credit. It devolved into them just openly fighting in their little toy boat, and the ring dropped into the ocean. Great. Just great. It was decided that they couldn't very well return home, having gained, and then lost, the ring, and no matter where they went, the rest of the mice would find them. So, because this is a fairy tale, the three cute mice decided to dock their boat on the next deserted island and end their lives. They clambered to the beach when they reached the island and saw that there wasn't any evidence of life. Whether mice or men, they would be alone. They could die here. After a short snack, the youngest mouse found a dead fish on the beach and decided to treat herself to a final meal before she died. She bit into the fish and nearly lost a tooth. That was unexpected. She tore through the quickly rotting fish flesh until she found, yes, the ring. The trio agreed to never speak about this to anyone, silently boarded their boat, and sailed back to the kingdom of the mice. There, G was getting pretty antsy, and was about 10 minutes from just releasing the hungry cats anyway, when he saw the tiny ship approaching, and the three sister mice holding the ring above their heads triumphantly. G was happy to have his gold and silver ship back. The mice were relieved that the cats turned back into gold and silver, and the 12 sailors were grateful to be back to their fantastically attractive selves. After a brief farewell, G and his party set sail, somehow coming to peace with the idea that there's an entire mouse society constantly spying on and stealing from humans. G headed home. The wizard, having demonstrated his power once and thinking that he had just misplaced or swallowed the magical ring, stuck around in the kingdom. As far as he knew, G was still stranded on the other side of the world with a rotting boat and unsexy crew. The wizard could keep up the illusion of power until he found, or passed, the ring. He was sleeping late that morning when ropes burst through his door and crawled into his room like snakes, binding him and dragging him into the street where he met the angry G and his wife. Everyone had suffered under the rule of the wizard, and so no one was upset when, the next day, he was dragged behind a savage mule until his body was broken into pieces, quote, no bigger than nuts. After that day, the kind son of the gardener, who had only ever wanted to marry the love of his life, the princess, and live in peace, finally got that chance. Again. He decided to stop traveling, as that had only led to constant problems for him in the past, and he docked the golden ship once and for all. Also, he probably got a safety deposit box or something for that ring, because storing it under pillows in your room and or sleeping with it in your mouth really were not great options. Yes, there were some similarities between this and Aladdin, namely an evil wizard stealing a genie and selling something to the princess in exchange for that tiny genie apartment. Also, I know I kind of harped on the attractiveness of the crew a lot, and I just have to say that that wasn't my addition. The original story talks about it constantly for some reason, and I found that completely hilarious. Real quickly, there's a new episode of Fictional out this week with a story by Edgar Allan Poe about an insane asylum in the 1800s. It's a surprising amount of fun. 
for a story by Edgar Allan Poe about an insane asylum. Just search for Fictional wherever you get your podcasts or follow the links in the show notes. The creature this week is the Dokebi from Korea. The Dokebi is kind of like a Korean goblin, though it's a bit nicer than a goblin. For example, if they're not mistreated, they can bring good harvests, defend against the evil spirits, and make you lots of money. As usual, if they don't like you, they'll curse you relentlessly. Lucky for us, they are very stupid. Case in point, one day an old farmer lived alone in the forest, and a Dokebi came by in human form. Happy to have a visitor, the old man gave him a beer, and he and the Dokebi became friends. The Dokebi would stop by regularly for beer and conversation over the course of a year, until, one day while out working, the man took a drink from a stream, and there was a Dokebi face looking right back at him. He came to the only conclusion that made sense to him. His drinking buddy, the only thing about his life that had changed in a year, had to be a Dokebi. The next time the Dokebi stopped by, the man struck up a casual conversation about their deepest fears. The Dokebi said his was blood, took a drink, and then asked the farmer what his worst fear was. The farmer looked at the Dokebi and said that it was money. The Dokebi shrugged. Looking around the farmer's shabby house, yeah, made sense. As soon as the Dokebi left that afternoon, the farmer went to work. The next day, the Dokebi stopped by for his daily visit and shrieked. He found the farmer pouring buckets of blood out on the floor. He had slaughtered a cow the day before and threatened the Dokebi with his greatest fear if he dared to return. The Dokebi immediately took its natural form red-faced with bulging eyes, a horn, and fur all over its body. It's like a demonic-looking Elmo. It sneered at the farmer and promised that he would be back the next day with the thing the farmer feared most. The next day, the farmer waited until, at the normal time, the sky turned dark and lightning cracked outside. His door flew open, and in the doorway was the Dokebi, with way too much money. It flung bag after bag of money at the farmer, who reacted with a very convincing... No, stop, no, don't. When he was finished, the Dokebi ran off giggling, content that his revenge of making the farmer a very, very rich man was complete. That's it for this week. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. And don't miss sci-fi's new series, Krypton. It tells the untold story of Superman's grandfather, Segal, as he fights to defend his world and his family's legacy, the House of El. Filled with some very recognizable characters from the DC Comics universe and executive produced by David S. Goyer, this new show is one I'm definitely watching. Krypton. Series premiere March 21st at 10, 9 central on Sci-Fi. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Chris Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hold up. 